Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Everybody, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I am here today with my guest, Sarah Goyer, who is a Muay Thai fighter and the founder of the Women of Muay Thai Instagram page. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Georgia. Thanks for having me. Like we said just a little bit before offline, I think we have a lot in common. I feel like you're a super aligned guest to have on this show for a multitude of reasons. So today we're going to talk a lot about your personal experiences and then get more into some of the practical things and advocacy things and, and the areas where people can get involved. So let's wind it back and let's let's start at the beginning. So before you got into Muay Thai, let's paint a bit of a picture for what your upbringing was like. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up um, in the Western part of the United States. Um, I have a big family. So I have six older brothers and then it's me. Um, My parents got divorced when I was very young. I was like six or seven. Um, And then moving on, my mom got remarried shortly after. So then the family was split up. My brothers are older. So they had decided to, you know, move on with their lives, kind of keep going. Um, But then for me, I got brought into the step family. So my stepdad had a bunch of kids and then I was there. and over the years, it was just a different, different circumstances. My mom is someone who has been through stuff and kind of didn't find the healing. So it didn't always have the best environment really for how to grow and how to you know, be stronger. It was very much so like submissive and listening mm-hmm. um, and kind of a breeding ground for grooming, really. My mom kind of encouraged like the submissive behavior and everything, which then led to sexual abuse um, from my stepdad, um, for a period of five years. So a very long time. Um, and it was difficult, of course, for many reasons. One, you get used to keeping secrets. You're alone, you're isolated. Um, my mom would kind of, didn't want me to see my dad. She wanted me to call my stepdad, dad. There were a lot of disconnects there for me. Um, and just being the obedient, trying to be a good kid. I was like, I was just following and leading into this and leaning into whatever was survival. Cause my mom was also very up and down and kind of back and forth. It was hard to tell what was, when things she was going to be like on my side or not. And so although there was abuse happening, my stepdad tended to be kind of like the, the reasonable one of the Mm -hmm. two, if you will. Um, And so it was a really, really difficult situation, getting more isolated from my family, my brothers, um, my step-siblings didn't see what was happening. Um, And because of course, how could they, and they were also like wanting their dad and dealing with their issues with my mom. And it was just a really hard situation. So I went through that for a very, very long time. Um, It actually started in my teenage years and went into even adulthood. I was fully dependent on my stepdad financially and there was just a lot of coercion and everything, uh, the grooming built up over the years. And it was something that was really, really difficult for me for a long time to talk about because people don't understand, who don't understand trauma or abuse, they'd be like, but you're an adult. Like, why couldn't you change things? Or why couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z? Um, 
And that used to be really, really painful for me because I was so used to already trying to over-explain and justify the fact that it wasn't my fault once I'd finally come out and started my healing process. Um, but it was, I was also grew up in a very conservative family. So we were Mormon actually. Um, so there was also an additional expectation of how women should be and following through on all of these kinds of gender roles and being submissive and being kind all the time and listening and being obedient. Those were kind of like the consistent themes, which led into a lot of the continued abuse. Um, so it was really, really hard. Of course, I found that throughout the years, I found food as my coping mechanism. Um, I love to eat, but interestingly enough, when I was going through the abuse, I didn't have, um, I still felt very like sure of myself. Like when it wasn't happening, I was really connected to me. I found joy in school. I was really connected to teachers and people I found as mentors. They meant a lot to me. Um, and I was still like able to really succeed in those areas of my life. I went on and I went to college. Um, and there uh, I ended up meeting another Mormon guy who uh, we got engaged and we're getting married. Um, the abuse then stopped from my stepdad because obviously this was like the appropriate transition, um, which was a whole other thing. But really quick engagement. If you know anything about Mormon religion, it's conservative. You're not supposed to have sex before marriage, everything. So short engagements are encouraged. So I had been dating this guy six months and then we were married basically and lessons learned. It was a very, um, just, I think like important part of my journey. I was able to get out of the bad situation. The dynamic with my ex-husband was not good. Um, he was very controlling. He hadn't come to terms with like who he was and how he wanted to like see the world and approach the world. Um, and he really just started abusing me mentally and emotionally because I was coming out of abuse from not even that long before I just fed into it. Like he would be like, Oh, why are you like this? And in my mind, I was like, I can fix it. Let me be better. Okay. Like, how can I, you don't like it when I do that? Hey, I can stop doing that. And then we won't have problems, right? Like that's the solution. Um, but obviously that led to just a lot of pain and a lot of internal, you know, strife. Um, about six months after we were married was the first time I ever said aloud that my stepdad had been sexually abusing me. So I told it to my then husband, we were having a conversation and it just kind of came out. I like pushed it down deep, but finally after having that break and not being in the situation anymore, I was able to say it aloud and start really the beginning of my healing process. Um, yeah, we, I went to therapy. We, I immediately told my family, talked to, you know, the authorities. I ended up being in a two year long um, case really with the police trying to press charges. Nothing ever came from it. Um, kind of taking all the steps of what could I do, got into therapy, did a little bit of couples counseling um, and just tried to work through like, what does this mean for me? How do I deal with this? How do I, you know, not exclaim that this is my fault and recognizing that the big reason why I didn't tell anyone for so long is because deep down, I believed it was my fault. I felt like there was something wrong with me. And I think that would be 
for me, what's the hardest part about sexual abuse, especially when it comes to like that childhood and that grooming and that coercion is the fact that it makes you feel like, well, I participated or I was the one who also was a part of it. And that was really, really difficult for me to get through for a long time. Um, because it, it kind of made you a prisoner in yourself. Like it's one thing if someone else forces you to do something, but when you were like, I'm just surviving, so I'm going to do what makes this person happy and knowing it's wrong and knowing it's hurting you is a deeper level of like a mental and emotional pain for me at least. Um, so I started my healing process and a few months later, my ex-husband started abusing me physically. Um, it was a really, it's an interesting dynamic. It's kind of going to be similar throughout what I'm saying is from the beginning of like, I was in an abusive situation, but I found these like pockets of joy and hope and like things that meant something to me. Kind of the same thing with my marriage. I was finding healing. I was going to therapy, but I was also being abused at home and being <laughs> treated poorly. Um, it was a different kind of abuse and it, like I say, it didn't feel the same in the sense that I knew it was happening to me and I didn't feel like a participant in it, but it still took me a long time being a conservative Mormon at the time. It was very important to me. This is my marriage. This is the person I'm going to be with for eternity. Like I've chosen him. He has told me he loves me. Like if this is the person who loves me, like, can he just stop? The thing that I think is really important with that part of the story too is that when he started physically abusing me it didn't feel like something that you see on the movies or that you're aware of it was the very first time we were fighting I was trying to walk past him he ended up like hitting my leg and he left like a really big bruise it hurt really bad but in my mind I'm like well that's not technically abuse obviously it is but when you're in a committed relationship have, you know, I'm supposed to be with this person for eternity. Is this like enough to be the deal breaker? But it's easy to think like, well, no, when he hits me in the face, like that would be enough to call the police or anything like that. And you just, especially if you've been in abuse before, you gaslight yourself. You really sit down and are like, I don't know, like, never mind. I'm not going to tell anyone. And I'm personally now a very big advocate for speaking about your relationships with people, with trusted friends, not with everyone, but having trusted friends, because I think it's really easy for us to make excuses um, for other people rather than being able to see the full picture. And at least for myself, I tend to take more of the blame than I should. So um, yeah, he started abusing me. That went on for a few years. Um, we got married in 2014 and it was interesting because it went on, he started abusing me and I was also in the process of healing and going to therapy and I started losing weight. I started exercising and I recognized that connection with food and how I use that to cope and stay healthy or to deal with all of the abuse that I was going through. And so I started, you know, recognizing like, I don't need that. Maybe I'm going to start running. Like, something I'd hated my whole life was running. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is a mental block. Maybe I should just challenge myself. Like, I hate running. I'm going to run a 5K. And then within a few months, I was like, I'm running a half marathon. Like, let's do that. Um, and it was this really 
incredible journey for me where I got a chance to do something I never thought I would be able to do. And I challenged myself and I pushed myself. As a result, I also lost weight, um, which then had a negative impact on my relationship with my husband because I was about 160 pounds when we got married. I was very intent on, I am who I am. If you choose me, this is who I am. You're not going to change me. Like, not a big deal. Um, Because I believed truly, I was like, you see me. If you want me now, then you should not be mad that I stay the same as who I am. Um, And I started losing weight. And within like six months, I lost 40 pounds. It was a really drastic change. People in my family didn't recognize me, like cousins and aunts um, at first. And I hated the response I ended up getting from it because everyone was talking to me about my weight. Every single person who came into my life, it's like if they'd seen me just for a second or like longtime family, it was like, how'd you lose the weight? Oh my gosh. And I felt like it was this like, not even advertisement, but that was like where my value was. I think it made me more hyper-focused on the weight of like, okay, like, well, shouldn't gain that back. Um, And in the meantime, my husband also became very focused on my weight. He started to pinpoint and be like, oh, you know, you, this part of you doesn't look as good. Like I have a line on my stomach from when I crease and like bend over and he like hated that. And he would always be like aware of it and kind of like, oh, other girls don't have that. Um, You know, what checking on my weight or like kind of making comments if I decided to eat something extra, um, he'd be like, oh, like you're going to eat that. Um, Just continually driving in that this is what matters. He started to ask me to take down Facebook pictures um, of like our wedding even. He's like, oh, you look fat in that picture. Can you take it down? And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, But it, of course, still impacted me and was this continual process of my value is dependent on this number. My value is dependent on how I look. Um, People like me a lot more when I look smaller. And even though I knew I was doing it for me, that was still there. It was still in my head that this is something we're aware of. People are going to make comments and be there. And I remember just being really, really frustrated. I hated when people commented. And I know they had the best intention for the more part. No one was trying to insult me, but it made me very, very uncomfortable. Um, So then that's 2015. I stayed with him for a few years longer in 2017, I had a really incredible opportunity where it was in April of 2017. And I went to this foundation, the unique foundation in Utah, they put on a retreat, um, specifically for women who were sexually abused as children. It is completely covered, like all expenses and costs are covered, you just have to get there. You at the time, I think they have a different location now. But at the time, you just show up in like a parking lot, get on a shuttle. And it's for all women who've been through this kind of abuse. Um, We went up to this cabin, the most beautiful place in the world. You're in the mountains, there's no cell service. So it's really disconnected. Um, And we got split up into these groups. And it was amazing. The focus of the retreat is education and providing tools and understanding for why you are the way you are. Um, We also had group therapy sessions. Each group of eight of us had like um, a like mom or someone who was always there with us. And then we had a therapist who was always kind of there with us. 
Um, and then there were three groups of eight in the time that I went. So there were 24 of us total. And they had classes. So mostly focused on like diet, you know, mindfulness, understanding consensual sex. But they sent set up everything very, very clearly with the goal of support for survivors. If you wanted to leave, leave. You do not have to attend a single class. They were very clear about that. If you want to step out, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to feel bad. If something triggers you, do what you need to do. We will be there for you. We'll check in. We'll provide anything and everything that you want. Um, I remember talking to one of the ladies on our first day. And we're like, is this a reality TV show or something? Like, what is this thing? Um, and it was the most beautiful, life-changing experience for me. Like incredible. Um, it was actually the first time there that I said to my therapist, like, I think I need, might need to leave my husband. I didn't admit the abuse was happening yet, but recognizing and seeing and reconnecting with myself. And I was seeing like who I want to be. It was the first time that I'd been fully surrounded by people who got it. Like between each of us, me and the other seven women became really close in our pod. And like, we all had different stories, but there was so much similar and also not even that different. There was one woman who literally the exact same story between, between the church using like the church for abuse and all these things. It was her stepdad. Her mom stayed with him. My mom stayed with my stepdad um, was just like so comforting to not be alone after abuse makes you so isolated and so alone to be seen and understood and see us all like working on this healing and trying to understand we'd like practice they had an assertive communication class and we were all practicing our assertive communication with each other um but it just meant everything the best part in my opinion of that <laughs> retreat was they had a muay thai class so this is was the introduction for me to muay thai I kind of always heard about kickboxing and I wanted to try it. I have six older brothers, so I'm used to like rough stuff. Um, but yeah, they had us do a, just one class and it really was just about hitting pads. It was not like technique or anything, but it, they just had a couple of very clear set instructors who held pads and we all hit it. And it was love at like first punch. I was like, this is amazing. This is a workout I can do. I have to do this. That's all I know. He's like, this is going to be part of my life forever. Um, so after the retreat, I connected with the locals. I knew I was moving at the time. So I was in Utah um, and they had a local kind of class that they would do on Friday nights. So I started going to that and like meeting the some of the women and it was a good chance to reconnect and just like find that thing. I was like, I love this. This is great. They provided all the gloves and all the gear and it was just a great place to start when I knew I wanted this thing. Um, when I moved to DC, they provide uh, kind of contact and extra services. If you ever have questions, they've given you like emails of people you can contact. So they sent me like a list of, you know, some gym options for Muay Thai. I talked to the instructors before I left and they were like, you know, Muay Thai is like, if you're talking the technique that you like, there's Muay Thai, the next level down is like kickboxing, then there's like boxing, but you can find kind of the, similar vein. Um, I moved to DC and I found a couple gyms and I went and I tried them out. And I found this one gym finally that had an all women's class and I was in love with it. It was great. Um, just getting to be surrounded by women and train Muay Thai and 
get pushed. Um, it was a really, really powerful experience. It's not something that I'm scared of training with men. And by now I've like thought I've trained with lots of men, but at the time it's so intimidating. I'm sure you've experienced this. I feel like this is something for everyone, but like, I knew I loved this thing. And I used to go to the gym and literally sit in my car for like 15 minutes before and be like, I don't want to go in. I was so scared. I was so anxious. Like, what is this MMA gym? People are (laughs) like, I'm going to be the only girl. The guys are going to hate me because I don't know how to hold pads yet. They're going to (laughs) like... I wasn't even like, it's not that I was scared of getting hit. I was scared of like the social being the social pariah or the person who doesn't know how to do stuff and like them being annoyed with me. Um, But I kept like forcing it through because I was like, I know I love this. Let's go. Okay, we're going to go again. We're going to go again. Um, And it was just a really beautiful experience. Um, So that was from April. And then I moved to DC in September of 2017. In the meantime, I I knew that I was thinking about leaving my husband, but I wanted to, for like with my faith and with everything I believed and just because I didn't want to give up, I didn't want it to be because I left the relationship too soon or there was something that I was missing. So we were moving to DC and I was like, well, maybe things will get better. Um, And because I was like, maybe if we lean on each other or whatever it is, like we'll be able to work together and he can improve. He knows what he needs to do. He just needs to do it. Um, And we moved and things did not, they got worse. Um, But during that time, I I really thought about leaving him then. Um, I told my family that I was being abused. um, And that was because I was planning to leave him um, the most the worst abuse started coming once we'd moved there. He didn't have any other outlets, anyone else to blame. And so I was the person to blame rather than himself for his frustration and his fears. Um, I realized, and I had a realization after one of the nights that he was going to kill me. Like I definitely, I had felt the pain before and I felt internally how, how much it hurt and how much it made me lose a little bit of myself. But we finally had this situation come up where I was on the ground and his hand was on my throat and I was sitting there just recognizing it might not be today, but someday if I stay, he's going to kill me. Um, and that was this most, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like surreal because it's, you don't believe you're in that situation. Like you really want, want to believe the best in this person but being in that situation kind of just makes you make a choice um so I talked to my family and I was thinking about leaving and I went and I was I just didn't I thought about it I was like meditating praying looking to God and I just didn't feel right yet um because I was going to go back to my dad but it was then like two months later that I found this Muay Thai gym Um, And I started training more and getting into it started just for exercise. And I think a lot of us know that (laughs) that's the slippery slope. I within like a month, I started sparring. And people like, Oh, like, you want to do this? I went and saw a fight and like one of the other women fight. Um, In the meantime, my ex husband had gotten really, really busy at work. So he was barely home. So I kind of had just been left on my own. And I found this new community of people who saw me and appreciated me they appreciated how supportive I was they appreciated that I was disciplined and showed up and 
saw me for just a strong, kind, good teammate, like great person. And it meant so much. It was kind of a weird, surreal feeling again to be like, how can people see me one way, but this other person can't see that? Um, so yeah, I saw fights and I was like, I want to fight. And he's like, I don't know how I feel about that. I was like, that's not really your decision to make, is it? Um, and within a few months, um, it really came down to, he would say probably that I left him for Muay Thai, which in a way is true because Muay Thai helped me see myself and he got done working so much and he wanted more of my time. And I was like, I love this. I don't want to stop this. I'm not going to cut down doing this thing that makes me so happy and so alive because I will be a shell of a human being. So at the end of the day, I chose Muay Thai and I chose myself and I ended up leaving him. Um, And I was really, really grateful that I was able to leave and not fear for my life or anything like that. Um, I know a lot of other victims of domestic violence don't have that opportunity. I still was very cautious and aware. Like when I moved out, I did it on a day he didn't know I was going to. I had friends go with me, but it was very just so peaceful. It started out stressful, but it was so peaceful to finally find this thing and to have the place where I could throw myself into the gym. Um, I took my time processing for sure, because I was like, well, I don't, I didn't have a home. I slept on a friend's couch for a month. Um, but the gym made sense and the gym helped me. And I knew I, there was this huge burden off of me. Um, and I threw myself in fully within a few months, I had my first fight. Um, it was a smoker and it was, that's like the exhibition matches and that it was just even more in love. I was like, I have to do that again. Like I need to be able to try and get better because I did good but like there are things I want to work on and like I want to train in the gym and see it come to fruition like it was for me I love Muay Thai because it's this ultimate like test of how I can get better I had a lot of people I've spoken to throughout the years have been like well you know you're obviously an advocate against like violence against women like how can you get in the ring and fight women I'm like no it's consensual we're getting in I'm seeing my opponent and the woman who steps in the ring with me as an incredible, like I have respect for her. I see her as an athlete and someone who's choosing to step up. This would never be something that would not be consensual or, you know, um, disrespectful either. Like I think every single person who gets in the ring, I just have so much love and appreciation for them because I know from my own experience, how much it takes to get you there. Like how many hours of training and how many hours of bag work and sparring and everything that you go through to get to that point where you feel good enough and your coaches feel good enough for you to step in. Like it just deserves respect. Um, so from there, I was at that gym for a couple of years. Um, I, it was a really good experience. Um, I ended up getting divorced and then throughout the process, things started to become more complicated. I'll say that I was more, they were my family, really. They became my family. It was the safest thing for me. I was flying high, like, especially after having lived life so shut, so just shy of fully expressing myself, full of being who I was. These people saw me, they understood me. They saw me 
in the times when I'm the most tired and the most angry or like exhausted and pushing through. And there was just this raw appreciation for each other. Um, and we grow, grew really, really close. Um, but then throughout the years, things became more complicated. So I started seeing someone um, who was a one of the pro fighters at the gym. And it was, we were in kind of a situationship and I really liked him and everything was fine and messy, but like as messy as situationships are. Um, it was the first person I'd kind of been in anything with since I'd left my ex-husband and I wasn't trying to date anyone, but he kind of came in and was really charismatic. We got along. It was a great time. And then about six months after that, this is like March of 2019. Um, we were ending things and the long story short of it is we had a time when he came over I didn't want to do anything. I said, no, um, I fell asleep. And then when I woke up, he was having sex with me and he raped me. Um, I didn't tell anyone because of our situationship and because of the dynamic of the gym, I didn't tell a soul that we were together. So I didn't have that support group or that connection with anyone to kind of process. I was really, really angry. Um, I felt betrayed. I also blamed myself. And it was really, really painful. And again, and just another time where I felt so isolated. He's the pro fighter. He's a big name at the gym. So I also was so scared of losing Muay Thai. That was really the painful thing for me is like, this is my love. This is the thing I know. And if I tell people, either they won't believe me or they will and they won't care. Um, and so I stayed silent. Um, I did not tell a soul for over a year. I, this March of 2019, I stayed, I trained, I fought. I had interactions with him, but they were limited. Um, showed up to training, acted like everything was fine. And I just like pushed it way deep down. Um, but in the meantime, my fighting was doing great. <laughs> I was able to go to the tournament, uh, a tournament in Iowa the tournament of champions and I won a belt and it was like the first amateur fights I'd had. And I was in love still with Muay Thai and just training and pushing myself harder and seeing how far I could go. Um, part of that transition though, led to some of the other issues we talked about. So we talked about my weight loss process, but then part of the struggle was I'd been, I stayed at a pretty solid weight after once I started running and everything, it was always around like 120 or so. Um, until I started training and then I went up to 130 because I gained muscle. Um, but I was like always pretty solid about my weight, aware of like what I was eating, kind of checking in. Um, and fighting led to another issue with disordered eating. Um, so I did for this tournament, I got really, really ready. I stayed focused on dieting down. We had two weigh-ins for it. So you had to be pretty close to your fighting weight. So I mm -hmm. ended up dieting down. I ended up fighting at like 117. And so I got way, way down there. It was a whole process. I was very disciplined. I know I could do it. So I wasn't worried about it. But afterwards, the repercussions mentally were exhausting. I saw myself in the picture of when I weighed in. And then I saw myself other times and just normally. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. Um, I like, I don't look as good. I'm not as toned. Like, 
look at these other people in their sports bras fighting and look at like me and like, oh, there's a little bit of skin hanging off of my Muay Thai shorts or let me like hyper analyze. And it doesn't help the environment of the gym anyways, because I'm pretty sure all male fighters as well have body dysmorphia, but like everyone's commenting on people's bodies again, often it's like, oh, you look good or you look fat or this person gained weight. And like, it's so focused on the weight portion. It's exhausting. And I fell into binge eating like crazy after my tournament. It was once again, this shame that like hung over me. I had my friend who we'd done it together. And in my mind, I was like, she's not gaining weight. But here I am, like, I'm going crazy. People had kind of started to talk about a fight again and the scarcity mindset and everything was just coming out. And it was really, really scary for me because I was like, what's wrong with me? I thought I fixed this. Like I thought I'd accomplished this um, back when I lost weight. Like what if I gain weight? Anytime I stepped on the scale, it was terrifying. Like it was a whole emotional thing. Um, and I didn't have a fight. So I started to kind of confront it with myself. And I recognized after about a month, I started talking to some of my friends and not that they per se helped, but I think anytime there's shame involved for me, I try to talk about it as soon as possible. Cause when you say it out loud, it takes the power of shame away. So being able to say to my friend, like, Hey, I feel fat and I'm doing this thing. And I want you to know, because I'm trying to stop. Not that I, I even need you to ask me questions, but if I know there's someone who I can talk to about it, I'll be better. Um, and so we continued on. Like I decided to start focusing and working with a friend and a nutritionist that I'd worked with. I'm like, okay, how can I do like the 80, 20? Like I need it to be sustainable. I need to enjoy myself <laughs> and also like lose weight when I need to, or vice versa. Um, and that was really a big focus for me was like coming back and recognizing I can be a whole person. Like I can do all the things I can enjoy food. I can go out within reason and how mentally that would change the way that I would like, I wouldn't look at myself and stare and try to look for anything that wasn't perfectly sculpted or skinny or worried about bloating, really just understanding my body and trying to let go of the expectation was difficult. And it's difficult when there's a number on a scale you have to worry about. That's always going to be difficult. Um, but it helped a little bit to start trying to have that mindset. Um, and then that worked through that year of 2019. We continued training really hard, trying to get ready for fights. I struggled to find fights, um, but was consistently like in fight camp again and again and again. And then in 2020, I had a couple fights lined up. Big thing, I had my, another title fight lined up and then COVID hit. Um, so I was in the best shape of my life, like super excited, super ready. And then everything, as we know, came to a pause. Um, and it was really difficult for the first few weeks. I think like a lot of people, it was like, I can do this. Like I can work out at home. I can go for a run. I'll do knees on this. I put a belly pad on a tree and like saran wrap it and did all that. Um, and then I very quickly stopped finding the motivation and the connection and was then forced to deal with what happened to me the year before. Um, I 
was talking to a friend and shared and kind of just the same thing. It just came out of me. Like, this is what happened. Um, and acknowledging the rape and dealing with it because I was away from it. I didn't have to put on a face anymore. Um, and it was really, really painful. And it was a scary, hard few months. Part of the process that was the most difficult for me, honestly, was I wasn't obligated to tell people, but to me, it's important to share my story, especially with people who I'm close to. And seeing the process of people, understandably, they know this person too, like how they struggled with it. Um, and I was very understanding and like forgiving. I'm like, of course, until I finally had one of my friends that I shared with and she actually supported me. Like I believe supporters, survivors should be supported. Um, she apologized that I had to deal with it alone for so long. And she just asked me how she could help. And every step of the way, she was there to speak to the gym owners as well trying to give the voice of someone who wasn't in it, trying to be there. And ultimately, um, because the gym chose not to do anything, even though I had talked to all the owners, I'd given them a lot of time. I'd said like, let's make a plan. Can we do something as far as like a new policy or something? Like, is there a way that we can protect women? This is a gym that has an all women's class week. I claim that this is a safe gym for women. I tell people that. Like, what can we do to make it a safe gym for women? And it kind of got pushed back, like, you know, this is a civil case. We can have you, you know, not be around him for training. But ultimately, it felt like I was going to just be kind of pushed to the side at the time. He wasn't really going there. But I was like, that's not that's not possible. They're, it's not going to happen unless I'm then only going to specific classes and I have to be isolated again. Like I was the person who did something wrong. Um, so I left. and. That was one of the most painful things for me because it felt like, once again, that what I had expected would happen the year before of people maybe believing me or not believing me, but then not doing anything and seeing people who I'd thought of as family and who'd been there for me, who I'd been there for for years, just choose him who know um, was really, really painful just to see that and lose that community. I know this is something that's really stuck out with me because I know you talked about and have mentioned on the Fight Back project too before how like community is so important. Um, and that's something that resonated with me. And I was like, how can women, it's already hard to be in a gym as a woman. It's hard to be the only woman. There are things that you don't get understood by the men. You have to be hit on by the dudes half the time. Like, there's so many nuances and everything and people think like, Oh, you're a girl. Okay. You can't do as much. Like there's a constant battle. And then to also feel like I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to lose everything. Um, it was really, really hard and very painful. And I am blessed that I had some friends who left with me um, and some who didn't. And I don't hold that against them. I understand the nuance of everything, but it meant a lot to me for those who did and who for those who were there for me and talked to me and had me come over and held pads for me and in the transition it was really really meaningful um but all I can say at the end of the day is I'm grateful because 
that's what really led me to want to build the Women of Muay Thai page was I recognized and I started seeing more and more women come out and speak about their experiences similar to mine. Once again, another time when I was like, this is like almost the exact same or very similar and you get it. And I was like, we need a space, not just for survivors of assault in the Muay Thai community, but just for women in general. Like, how can we be better? How can we provide a safe space for women overall? Why can't we communicate? Maybe we're not going to be able to get a lot of us in one place, but we can get a lot of us on the internet and we can talk. And let's talk about what it means and how you deal with disordered eating. Let's talk about what it means to, you know, be on your period when you're fighting or prepping or dealing with that. Like, how do you cope? Because that's something no man is going to have an answer for. And how can we, you know, work through and just show that like, we don't have to be alone. If you're the only woman at your gym, that's okay. You have a group here where we can talk about these issues. We can find solutions and just ultimately provide support too. So that was where I wanted to start. Um, And I connected with some of the other women, some other incredible women too. And we started talking about like, hey, how do we, what is this page going to be? And it's still in process and we're still building it. But I, you know, I have hopes for building a website and putting together an online support group and ultimately just another place to show and shine on all the women in Waitai who are showing up, who are building brands, who are, you know, coming out again and again with like all the heart and training and like showing up and being these incredible beacons because there is such a different experience for women in this sport. Um, And it's the resilience to me of the women is so impactful and I'm I'm just powerful. So yeah, and now I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I didn't, I did not even feel like I needed to jump in and go back. You you flowed through that. So, so, so wonderfully. Uh, But there are definitely like a few bits that I would love to dig into because I think there's so much from your story that of course resonates with me, like particularly around the eating disorder piece and how damaging it is um, when people comment about how good you look because of your weight, like it's it's almost worse or just it's it's on par with saying you look fat to tell someone like you look great because you're really skinny because it it is exactly like you said you know like for for me it was the same thing like when I would start to prep for fights people would be like oh have you been like working out extra like you look more muscular I'd be like I look more muscular because I'm not eating like enough food and I'm I've lost weight like there's less fat so I look like I'm more muscular but if anything I probably have less muscle mass because I'm not eating enough like and it it stick like I have no specific comments like it's not just like oh that was the vibe I got like I can remember where I was who said it what they said how I felt when they said you look so great now compared to then and because you know it's not sustainable like you know within yourself what health is and it's just not and same as weigh-in day is the epitome of not healthy right fight day is the epitome of what someone who is not healthy looks like and it's a snapshot like for, for, for nearly everyone except for genetic outliers and why would you compare yourself to them either yeah, exactly. And yeah, exactly. And it comes back to just again, like that comment, it's almost, I almost want to say it's like the nice way, because I've become very intentional to make sure I try and I never comment on someone's body like that ever. But like, it's almost like people who would not come forward and be like, Oh, you didn't look that good when you were bigger. But like, they think it's okay to say 
the opposite thing that still is communicating the exact same thing it's like also I'm the same person like so one what is what about my mind and my personality and all that like this is the only thing that gets any kind of conversation like why can't we just ignore the body altogether like my body is not yours to speak about it is mine to do whatever I need to do with it but like it's the tool um yeah I think you put it perfectly it comes up so often yeah and I think I I, yeah no go ahead Sorry, I was just going to say, like, the, like these conversations are super important too. Like, yeah. the anyone who hasn't heard me say it before or hears it on this podcast or, like, tell somebody off um, for saying something, like, not in a mean way, yeah. not in front of other people in a way that shames them, but just, like, takes them aside and says something like, you know, hey, like, I noticed you commented on, like, Sarah's weight before, um, like, you're probably not aware of this and I never thought about this until it impacted me, but even positive comments can be really harmful for these these reasons that we just outlined. And I think that that just kind of grows a shift away from focusing on how people look to like focusing on, like you said, like their, their technique or like how, you know, like how good they looked hitting pads as in like how powerful they're getting and how much stronger they're getting or like how their defense was really improved in their last fight or all these like things that, are a result of um, like, I was going to say hard work, but like losing weight is hard work too. But, you know, that are things I think that that can be celebrated without people internalizing negative things about themselves. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think that's just a societal thing as well. But I think it's interesting because I know women who've actually stopped fighting because they cannot deal with the disordered eating portion of like the weight cut and everything like that. Um, And the focus on the weight, which that I've it's the past year I've like gained weight obviously with COVID and everything and I'm like loving it living the thick life it's a good time but I'm starting to get back getting ready for fights and like I'm really we're doing my internal work of like okay how can I do I don't want a calorie count I don't want like I want to eat healthy but also enjoy sweets occasionally and like how do I get back in and not fixate or feel like because I feel like I got to the body neutrality this year of looking at myself and being like yeah this is my body we're great like let's go next <laughs> um but yeah it's it's definitely a journey and I think just being able to talk about it more because I want I don't want our men to go through this either like I see the way that they blow it off and think about it and just like oh yeah this is great like um or like we'll joke with each other about it and I the same thing I try to be like you know like that you're fine. Your body is not who you are. Like you are valued as a human being, whether you can run six miles or whether you have abs, like it doesn't matter because we all just have different body types. And I think also trying to open the door and having those conversations with our men as well is an additional opportunity to validate them and hopefully empower them to understand why they should be supporting us in the same way. Are you going to fight in the same weight class or are you going to go up? Oh, I'm up for sure. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's a, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's been my thing too, where um, I think there's insecurity tied in around like your ability as a fighter in a higher weight class, right? Like I was really, really tall for the weight class that I used to fight in. Like I'm five foot seven, 170 centimeters, and I was fighting at about 115 pounds. Yeah, like 53 kilos. 
it's yeah, you're way tall for that. Too tall, too tall. But I was like, I get the reach advantage. Like if I don't have that, I will never win a fight, right? Like that was what I believed, yeah. even though I've been training for like a very, very long time. I'm like a ve- like a very technical fighter. There's no reason for me to have that belief, but once you attach to it, you say like, oh, I could do that. Then taking that away and thinking like, oh, I could go up a class, which would still be a like, for me, even to go the class above that would be like not, not doable for me now. Like I would have to go two classes up if I was going to return to Muay Thai. And, and you psych yourself out. You're like, if I'm, if I'm not that in that weight class, then the girls are going to be too strong for me and they're going to be as tall as me and I won't have the reach advantage and like all of these things. And, and, and I honestly don't have the perfect answer for like the way around that. No. And that's actually, I have a really good friend who is a beautiful example of this now where she doesn't cut weight. Like she, she does her diet thing, everything. She, it's not that she doesn't like diet and like eat healthier or anything, but she's gotten really consistent at like, with her fights of she's like, no, I'm not going to like do baths or anything like that. Like, nope, this is the way that I'm fighting it. I'll get there. And I'm so inspired because I'm like, I want to do that because other people aren't doing that, but that doesn't mean I can't do that. Like, I mean, if we look at like one FC, they have all the hydration tests and everything. And it was like, we should be fighting pretty much at our walking weights anyway. So like, if you can consistently be there, great. Like, let's go for that. And then everyone would probably be fighting the same classes anyway. If we just went with it. It's crazy, right? When you try and explain it to someone, um, they're like, but so both of you dehydrate yourself to a ridiculous level. You both sit up on the scale, then you both gain like about three kilos or more worth of water overnight to fight. At, so why don't you just f- agree to fight at the weight above? I'm like, <sighs> Because people, people are insecure and are looking for an edge. I think that that's what it is, right? If we were like, okay, we're going to agree to both not cut weight, someone would be like, oh, but like that person's going to sneakily like put on extra muscle and then like do the weight cutters. If you can just like quickly put on three kilos or more <laughs> of muscle, like, yeah, that's, that's how exercise science works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. And like, I, I don't yet feel like I could return to Muay Thai without the temptation to cut weight. So I've been competing in jujitsu, you know, at the bottom of the weight class, so like where they have a a, a range, you know, you've got to be yeah. between say like 65 and 69 kilos in the gi, which is where I yeah. sit now, healthy for me. Um, and I'm at the bottom, you know, so I get up and I like have breakfast and I'm just like, don't even yeah. weigh myself because I know it's just, it's with the amount of training that I do, I'm not going to gain that weight. Like I'm not mindfully cold, withholding any fuel from me. And after a hard training session, I refuel from it. And I'm not doing fasted training sessions because I want to learn as well as I can in all of the sessions. Uh, but it's tough. You know, there's still days where you're like, well, I could go, if, if I'm right at the bottom of this weight bracket, I could yeah. go down to the one below and then I could have the weight advantage and the reach advantage and all of these things. And um, yeah, it's tough. No, absolutely. That's impressive. I love that. That's, and that's the thing is like, I, I get this too, where people will be like, oh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, obviously a lot of conversations around, you know, different athletes and even transgender athletes. I think it just comes down to like your confidence in yourself. So like when it comes to weight, just this like understanding of like, I'm like, I think I could beat anyone at my weight. Mm -hmm. Um, And like having that confidence and that belief, like that's where to me, I'm like, 
don't know, right? Like put me up against a dude. It's the same way and similar experience. Like, let's go. Like, why, like, why couldn't I take that and translate that to the same thing? And that's like what I'm working to bring in again is, okay, you know what? Like, I believe in myself. I've got the heart. If they're better than me, they're better than me. That's always my say. I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to train like crazy. This person's just better than me. Good on them. Let's keep going. Like, I'm going to get better the next time. And we'll just keep on going. But like, yeah, as long as it's an even enough matchup, once it comes to weight, like, why, why worry? And why stress yourself out and push all of that onto you? Because really, my first fight was against someone. She and I are really good friends now, but she was like jacked. And I was like not toned at all or anything. But technique beats muscle every time. Like that's the thing that shows up and really will help you. So focusing on like how you look or all of those little details are just, I think they're just kernels compared to what we should really be focusing on. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think too, like getting in the ring is already such a big thing. Like you spoke about, right? The amount of respect that anyone should have for someone who gets in the ring because it is such a commitment of you know going to training and doing like if running is your thing I d- I've never run in preparation <laughs> for a fight I have to admit but like I do I do the salt bike uh, I hate <laughs> running I hate running um despite my coach's best yeah arguments uh, but you know like doing all of those things all of the things that you do the the discipline the amount of times that you got to say no to going to events and staying out late and like all of these things for for like you know an eight to 12 week period of time at least is is huge so you don't also need to add like you know being being really malnourished on top of that exactly exactly and I think once you've become a fighter and trained so consistently, you can see when you miss sleep or when you miss food, like it shows up so well, so obviously in your training that it's like, why would you deprive? And like, isn't it better to get better technique versus like awful technique that you're just pushing through because you have no energy? hundred percent. Um, also, so one of the other things that I was just kind of thinking as a bit of a theory as you were speaking um, was about, you know, people will say things like, I can't believe you get in the ring and like fight Muay Thai, right? And it seems like yeah. such a, a full-on thing from the outside looking in. Um, and, you know, we talk about how it escalates, right? It's like I was going for fitness, I was hitting pads, then I was going to sparring night, then, you know, I did a smoker, I did an interclub, then I did amateur fight, then I went pro, like, you know, then I was fighting without elbows, with elbows, I went to Thailand, like all of these like little things, they they escalate, right? And I think that that's a really good way to explain to fighters about how coercive control escalates nobody goes jumps in the ring right nobody just gets into a relationship where like you said like they're getting hit in the face but it's like love bombing in the beginning like you know pad hitting in the beginning like nothing is full-on well it's full-on in its other way right and then it just sneaks in like bit by bit by bit by bit until your reality that you have like that is part of you sees it as not normal you know it's not normal but at the same time it's it's a part of it your relationship and you can't see another way out in much the same way that you know that punching getting punched in the face is like a really really full-on thing in the gym 
and in competitions, but you're just like, it's a part of my sport. And like, I, you know, I didn't just like rock up and on day one got punched in the face, but like it, it built up to that. And so I think fighters of all people can think about why you would say like, or why you would never say, why didn't you just leave? Or why would you expect that? It's like, it, it, it was not like that day one. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah. I think if, if people got put through a fight camp style, like shark tank or anything like that, like the second they walk in, I don't care who you are from any walk of life, like if you've had no experience, like you're not gonna come back to this place because you'd be like, I can't do anything. I can't succeed. I can't like, and so it's the same. Yeah, if you walked into an abusive situation and all the red flags were going off, you'd be like, well, no, I'm I'm good. Like I can walk away. I can see that this is bad. But yeah, when it starts out so inviting and like easy, like I can build this up. I think the same thing with disordered eating too. Like it's the same kind of trajectory. Like I had so many conversations with people where I'd be, <laughs> talking about the weight cut process and I was like yeah and then you like do this and then and then I'm gonna like dehydrate and like I just eat watermelon and pineapple that day that's hydration and all of these things that now I'm like these people were probably looking at me I know they were looking at me like I was crazy I'm like no this is normal like what are you talking about like you just don't understand this part of the fight world um recognizing like that same and I think like fighters have been through that when they explain like their rituals or whatever they have when people don't understand it's the same thing with trauma like it's this whole other world that you have put yourself in or not you haven't put yourself in but you are stuck in kind of and you're isolated and you don't know how to explain it to people and when people ask those questions generally you already feel like it's your fault and so those questions at least for me used to be so painful of just like, I knew you weren't going to believe me. Like I automatically was like, I knew this person wasn't going to believe me. So like questions, it took a lot of time to build to, I'd process things and work through them in therapy to be prepared to explain, okay, this is why this is the way it is. And I think it's important to have those conversations. I'm very comfortable and very vocal about my abuse because I believe that's how things get better. Um, and even whether it be for someone who's been through abuse or someone who hasn't, like, I'm like, people need to know because it's going to help get rid of the stigma. Um, but at least the more I speak about it, the more people can maybe have some light bulbs go off. Um, yeah. And I think like in, in our world too, like the majority of people who listen to this podcast, for example, are involved in a martial art. And I do think it's really important to be cognizant of why a lot of people will engage in a combat sport. And a lot of the time that's because they're looking to get their power back. And so you think that survivors are oftentimes drawn to martial arts, even beyond just like the statistics worldwide of like how many people have experienced abuse, how many women and men have both experienced abuse. Even if you just looked at that statistic, there's people on the mat in the gym with you who who like have experienced something recently or currently, right? but then skew it more because, like I said, people really are drawn to martial arts. So thinking about, well, what is coercive control and, like, what are some of the flags that I can notice in my training partners, I think is, yeah. is if we, we really do have a great opportunity to help pull someone out of a, a life-threatening situation. You know, like you spoke about being socially isolated like him not wanting you to go to the gym all of the time so someone who like was really really into training and then like suddenly they're not coming as much anymore like you can drop them a message and be like hey like where are you it might not be the thing that like pulls them out but at least 
they know that somebody is asking about them and like somebody cares like that that I think can be super valuable and I'm wondering like from of course like your experience too like what are some other flags maybe that people could look for if they're like a bit they're unsure they're thinking like why is this person maybe inconsistent or like what's going on or or just generally like what are some things people can be aware of to look for I think um something that was brought to my attention definitely the not showing up actually the beautiful thing for me when I was leaving my husband I missed training that day and I had someone message me um because they're like are you okay and the friend that I had actually previously set up to go stay at their house wasn't answering their phone she was asleep and so this friend from the gym let me stay the night at her house because I was like well I have to go somewhere um so it was like literally not showing up to training was enough of a tell to someone to be like something's wrong with Sarah and it helped to give me a place to stay um I think also being aware of I don't, I'm trying to think a little bit more on like which like red flags for someone maybe currently in an abusive situation. I think the trauma and being trauma informed of like how certain sounds or certain scenarios can be triggering for people. So for me personally, something that is still kind of triggering from time to time is when I'm being walked down by a large man in sparring and I can't get anything in it, I will freeze. Um, for the more part, I've worked through it, but it will make me upset and angry. Um, sometimes the sound of pads. So certain, like certain situations like that, I know other survivors who struggle with sparring in general, but with men, especially because they don't know how to handle it. And it's totally fair and totally understandable. Like the triggers are so, so real and it's so painful. And it's hard to even understand sometimes in the moment, why is this thing like affecting me? I've identified it enough so now anytime I go with a larger guy I'm like I see it and I feel it in myself um and I've been able to kind of breathe through and have a plan that helps me work through it but really recognizing um I don't know about you but when I used to struggle with things or any of the other women we'd always go to the bathroom because there's no way I was crying on the mat (laughs) and so just taking the time to step aside and look outside yourself and recognize like, okay, like, is someone okay? Like, are you okay? Like, let's talk about it. If you need anything, like, let's like breathe through it. I'm here for you. Um, even if they don't want to speak about what specific thing is going on and some, it doesn't always have to be, you know, triggering or anything like that. As we know, a lot of us break just because we're frustrated with ourselves or anything that could kind of come up and come out if you are struggling and training that day. Um, but being yeah, aware of what, how people are reacting. Maybe they're not speaking as much. Maybe there's um, just a disconnect. I'm a very big, when someone gets into a relationship, if they start, stop coming to the gym, I'm messaging them consistently because not that I expect it to be bad, um, but I'm just really hyper aware because of it. Of course. And I think, yeah, like someone freezing um and, or like not seeming that present maybe like a kind of glassy eyed look or they're like they're, you know yeah. you can see that their their awareness is not really that much on you and I always like to bring in like okay like of course it's so so important for us to help survivors in our society like it's we have an endemic of abuse within our, all communities but even if you think purely selfishly 
being able to put your awareness out rather than always in and look how your training partner is responding to things will make you a better fighter because you will see in the ring when someone switches into rage mode as opposed to calculated fighter mode and be able to capitalize upon that in the same way that you can notice if someone is not just like standing there covering up, um, waiting for their moment to uh, maybe hook you, but they're like standing there covering up because you know, like they're feeling really, really overwhelmed and things like that. Like, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a good way. If you, if you learn to have a more external focus. I love that. I love that a lot. I think the other thing, and this is like less about training partners, but for me, education is really huge on like power. So when it comes to the, you know, being aware of like coercive relationships and how they start, um, I think something that's really, really common in gyms is power dynamics, you know, between coaches, owners, there's all these different positions of power, usually men, often relationships can happen, not to say that that's like always a negative thing, but being aware about like, what is the power dynamic at play? um, And what does this mean? Um, I actually have a post on our Women of Muay Thai page that kind of talks about and breaks down how the power dynamic comes into play. It's not always negative, but there is like a different setting for each person in that dynamic and being able to be aware of it, I think ensures that you won't go into an abusive situation because you can recognize like, hey, if you're a gym owner and you're sliding into girls DMs or making saying things that maybe make them uncomfortable, you're the owner of my gym. How can I say to you, don't talk to me anymore or this is creepy or whatever. Like you cannot confront someone in that way because this person can take something away from you. The same thing, even with coaching, like there was a time when I kind of felt a little weird with one of my coaches. He and I are really tight. He's a good person. Um, he, it was actually Thai. So like we, he didn't, we didn't speak exactly the same language super well, but during that time, like he sometimes started to send a couple emojis a little bit extra. And I was like, Oh, um, I don't know what this means. But in, at the time I was training with him almost every day, one-on-one, like in, in like outside and everything, it wasn't anything inappropriate in any way, but there was just a slight bit of a discomfort of like, wait, what if this is a thing? What if I don't get a train with him anymore? Like, do I, do I lose this opportunity? Do I no longer get this? Because maybe, you know, if I didn't have to reject him or anything like that. And I just, at the time found a way to pull away a little bit. Um, and I was okay, but I think there are a lot of situations that can come up which are totally innocent, best intent of some people. Um, But if you're not aware of it, as someone in that position of power, you can make someone really uncomfortable. And that's not okay. I actually later went on to coach. And this is an example that is uh, easier for me to laugh at now. Um, But like, I am used to coaching a lot of women. Um, and I'm very like aggressively like complimentary because I'm like, let's go. Like, this is beautiful. You're strong. Like you're killing this. Like, okay. Cause they are, and it's beautiful. And I love seeing women come into their strength. Um, and then I later started training, training and teaching more of the co-ed classes. And one of the days I was walking through and like giving someone some tips and there's this guy and his, <laughs> I was like, I love this. Like, this is great. What I want you to do, take like this beautiful arm. And I want you to do this. And I was like going on and then like, I walked away and I was like, did this call his arms beautiful? Like, that's not bad, but that's like a little weird. Um, and so the next time around, I was like, hey, I because I had to have this little moment of I'm a coach. Now that could be a comment that makes someone uncomfortable. Like, how do I deal with this? So I made a point to be like, hey, I hope that didn't make you uncomfortable. Um, 
if you don't like that, I would not say that again. I'm not trying to, I just was like flowing with my words, but like, let me know if that's a problem. And he was like, thank you. No, like I've never had someone call my arms beautiful before. Thank you. And I was like, okay, but for real, I'm sorry. Cause that, I shouldn't have said it like that because that could put someone in a comfort, an uncomfortable situation again. And it was kind of a moment where I had to take a step back and be like, okay, now I'm the person in power. So what am I going to do with it? Um, and I think that that's something that's really important as we recognize our stance, because it's not just the owners. If you're a fighter at a gym, you have a certain reputation, you have a stance, like a respect and kind of everything that comes with, oh, this is one of the fighters. If you go to the pro fighters, that's even higher, right? Like there's levels. And if you are in that position, you just don't know the impact you can be having. And if you aren't aware of it, it's a, t- a chance to like check in and be like, hey, like, People look up to you. So what are you going to do with that? 100%. And I think it comes back to what we were just saying about like nothing really in life is so black and white as in like from zero to a thousand, it all tends to escalate. So it can be as little as like one, you say one comment, you're like, oh, I don't know how I sat with that, but you decide not to nip it in the butt and not to say to that person like, hey, I'm sorry, was that okay with you? But you just go like, uh, I'll let it go. And then something else happens. You know, it's like, uh, I'll let it go. And, and all of a sudden now that becomes part of normality and culture in the gym and it feels too hard to change it. It's the same with what you receive in the gym, right? Like maybe a coach slaps you on the butt and you're just like, I don't want to be that person who's like, Hey, excuse me. That made me feel uncomfortable. But then they're like, Oh, okay. Like I slapped them in the butt. They were fine with that. They're okay with like, they're one of the cool chicks. They're okay with joking around. Now it's like, you know, it escalates, escalates, escalates. And then it got to a point where you're like, oh, I've let so much go. How can I now turn around and be like, no, but you can always withdraw your consent. It's just easier to nip it earlier. Of course, like if you're in a situation now where it's like, you're like, shit, listening to this, like I have let too much go. And and I do, I agree with that. I feel the same get an ally, you know, like have a friend, you can always say, turn it around. But if you're thinking like from a clean slate, it's going to be easier if just like the one thing happens and you just straight away, just like, that's not okay, dude. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that's so well put. And that's something I would like to develop someday. And I'm working on this is putting together a skeleton of basic, basically like, how do I say Like guidelines and policies and things that gyms can learn to adapt to be like certified like women safe in my mind of like how are ways that you know there are lots of gyms out there one I'm not expecting them to know from the start because guess what 90% of this we know martial arts we all love it you fall in love with the sport and you're like I want to start a gym and that's how most gyms are started it's like small business owner not even really a business owner but now you've got all these things to deal with you don't recognize like you also have this community where you are, in my mind, you should be feel obligated to keep people safe as well. So, you know, thinking about like background checks for trainers could be something very basic. Um, basic harassment education. If you're a trainer, having some basic education on like how to deal with someone who reports sexual assault or anything like that. Same thing with being trauma informed for victims of any kind of abuse in the past. Like, I think there are a few things that if gyms thought about and recognize the community and the culture that they're cultivating, they could really improve massively. Even just a basic, like, you know, sexual misconduct type policy. I don't know exactly what it would be. I'm sure it would, you know, 
adjust and change depending on lawyers, but some way that people can feel like if I say something like I'm going to be protected, I'm going to not feel like I'm, I have to lose or be discriminated against or anything like that. Um, that's also just, I think one of my ultimate goals. And I, I don't expect people to think about it because they've got a lot on their plate. And when it's not affecting you, you don't think about it. But if we could put something together, that's a very basic guideline of like, you want to be women safe here. Okay. And now I can recommend like, Hey, this gym cares enough to actually do all these things. They see it as a value. Like, I think that that would be huge. Yeah. And I think like, it comes down to pages like women of Muay Thai, right? Helping more women get into Muay Thai because we represent 50% of the population, right? So even with buying power, if gyms become a place where it's not like you've got three or four women in the gym, it's like, no, actually all of a sudden it's 50-50. Well, now half of your customer base it cares about these things and probably more because I think a lot of men care about these things too. So all of a sudden it becomes like a good business idea to start to focus on it. And as we are seeing more and more women get into combat sports, you know, like I often remark on the fact that a lot of combat sports prohibited women from competing until the nineties, you know, like it was illegal for women to compete in combat sports until 30 years ago. We like, we are so, so new at being even allowed in this space. So now we're starting to say like, you know, we don't just want to be permitted to be here. This space needs to welcome us And like that level of policy change, I think will really, really shift as more and more and more women get into Muay Thai and other combat sports because gym owners will have no choice. They'll lose most of their members. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think that's perfectly put. And that's really the goal. And for me, I found that the way to approach it best at this point in time is I'm like, let's start by connecting these women. Let's talk. Let's see, you know, understand. And like the goal really is to be that community and way that we can like speak about our stories, next see someone else, maybe meet someone you didn't know, like ultimately really reaching out and just moving and growing and hopefully being a place to where brand new people can come. Like it doesn't have to just be for fighters. It can also be for people who are doing it for fitness. One of the people um, we just featured, she does it with her daughter and her daughter's a fighter now, but she's like, it's been this great way that we've connected. And we really got into it because COVID hit and my daughter needs someone to train with, but she was showing up and she's there. And it's just, it's so beautiful to find all of these different stories and talk through them and see how many of us resonate with, you know, everything. But at the same time, understanding like it's easy to feel alone. Um, I actually had a friend when I was starting the page who was talking to me about the fact that her ovaries hurt when she would like get her cardio going really bad. Um, And I was like, I don't know, but maybe you should talk to a doctor. Since then I've had three other people tell me the exact same thing happens to them. And then that's where I'm like, we need more of us because one woman to one woman cannot have, doesn't have the answer. I don't suffice. We all come together and info share and share experiences. And that's where we're going to find even more strength and growth. And so if people like wanted to share their story or anything like that, do they DM the page with like, this is what's happened to me. This is a photo of me. Or like, what's your process like for that? Yeah. So as of right now, I've mostly just been, kind of connecting with women who I see who engage with us a lot and who have, you know, shared something specific, but yes, anyone who would like to share, I want to share all women's stories. So please reach out to me, DM the page. Um, If you have something specific you want to talk about, feel free. If you want to talk about an experience or just like how you came to it, let me know. And yeah, 
share a picture. If you have one of your favorites, that's fine. If not, I can go look through your page. I love it. I love seeing all the women's fighting pictures. <laughs> yes, they're the best. <laughs> you mentioned also on, I think it's on your page as well, your involvement with the whistleblower, uh, the whistleblower's box. Can you tell us yeah. about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, with USMF. So part of the hard thing with you know, going through some kind of sexual assault or abuse is there's not really a lot of accountability. The system's pretty broken for women in general. So you won't always receive support from or accountability from the justice system. You might lose out on like family, friends, lose your gym. Um, USMS specifically has a whistleblower box. So that's for the USA Muay Thai page uh, federation. They have a, an opportunity to report and share when, you know, you've been through an assault anything like that. It's purely confidential. They do reach out to you and talk to you about it um, and might ask some questions. But the purpose of it is that they are trying to uphold the standard with the USA Muay Thai Federation to not, you know, be supporting or working with those who perpetrators. Um, and so from there, they'll kind of talk to you and there's an op. Once they know names, those people are not included at sanctioned events. So anytime that there's a USMF sanctioned like promotion, that person shouldn't be fighting on it, um, you know, and or coaching even on that promotion. So it's not necessarily like a huge fix all, but it's a really great opportunity to actually be able to share your story and feel like people are listening and people care within the community. And as we know, USMF is setting up for, you know, for us to participate in the Olympics, hopefully at some point and kind of continuing to lay the groundwork. So I have really appreciated working with them. Um, I know that we've also been talking about some other things that are going to be hopefully in the works soon um, for once again, just providing like the level of support of what it means to be a gym that supports women and really protects women as well. So I, I just really appreciate it. Feel free yeah, to check out the link is on our page. It's the little link on the profile just to get a chance to go directly to the whistleblower box. I think that is so important. Like this year, a couple months ago, re really, we saw a huge Me Too movement come in in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu space. And yeah. what I noticed from watching women come forward and seeing the comments is that there were maybe like 10 to 20% of the comments would be around like, what if she's lying and he loses his job? And it it infuriated me that like the, the default thing we would go to is like, it's difficult enough to come forward. It's like so scary to think that like, you're not going to be believed. Like, why would you come forward and lie? But like, not even that, just like that the default stance is like, we need to protect perpetrators instead of protecting victims is yeah. ludicrous to me. And so I think like uh, having an external body like that because your gym very well could react and be like, oh, you know, we, the, such a good coach and, like, we, we need to look after our coaches and da-da-da-da-da, like, wanting to push it under the rug. It's like, no, that is absolutely not okay. And there needs to be a standard, standard set that gyms who, like, tolerate that kind of behaviour and conduct um, and crime like just cannot cannot operate and will will not have fighters on stage will not be involved with progression towards like yeah olympic involvement like as martial arts really start to become like 
accredited sports on the world scene you know like we're so different to like football and you know like tennis and all these things that have really like governing federations and rules and punishment and fines and things like that for people who who break rules you know even just from like a that kind of level we're, we're kind of far from that and so it's, it's really 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 I think important to see that 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 is happening and I would love to see like a worldwide version of that for Muay Thai because I like immediately makes me think of um my experiences and other women's experiences like I know so many with negative experiences from training in Thailand um as an and and Australia as well too and and I'm sure all over the world but you know like I think that's a really good first step yeah I agree and it's funny because like to that like comment (laughs) I just think it's when people make that first comment, I'm like, one, we already know, like every single survivor of assault has already assumed that's what every single person is going to say to them. Like, you don't go in being like, people are going to believe me because you've seen all of the same comments on social media or wherever coming forth and saying that. And also to anyone who's like, oh, their job's going to be ruined. I have never, I don't think I have ever seen a man actually lose anything, any kind of perpetrator even who was like officially, you know, because the justice system doesn't support. So the chance of arrest is pretty low without extensive, extensive evidence. So that doesn't really support it. And I feel like most perpetrators just tend to move on and go somewhere else and do the exact same thing. So it's really just such an, a jump to protect them without any consideration for the survivor. Um, and yet there's no like true gain. I feel like, I feel like it's the worst amount of harm ultimately is just to jump in that way. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Um, and one final question is, are you still involved with the unique foundation? Um, and Cause I know they are still having Muay Thai at their retreats. So like, what's up with that? Yeah. Um, I actually did a video with them earlier this year. Uh, I love the unique foundation. I, I haven't been to one of the retreats. I've thought about sometime being like I would love to go back um but yes I'm a huge advocate adore them connect with them pretty frequently and keep them updated on like where I'm at to me it just means the world I was actually speaking to one of the coaches that I was connected with back there the other day and he was saying he's like it's crazy because like when you started like to see where you've come and where you're at now and he's like I remember there was a time we were all talking he was just like oh she loves this thing um because it's beautiful and having it in all of the different ways for so many women like I personally am a strong advocate for every woman ever to try it I'm like I've had my trunk do you want to try it you can use my gloves like let's go (laughs) but seeing like that connection and like of having been able to get on and I know at some point they're going to share my video and like talk about my story and how really I mean Muay Thai saved my life I'm sure so many women and especially survivors feel that but like Muay Thai saved my life it gave me empowered me to leave my abusive marriage it still continues to save my life I thought I was going to lose it when I had to leave my leave my gym and it's been a whole it's been a battle of like emotionally figuring out like okay what are these next steps how does this work um you know finding new gyms but it always comes back to once I find the technique and flow it's like this whole other version of me like the super like superhero type Sarah um but being real and recognizing like the flaws in it too or in the flaws in the system because I love it so much that's why I want to like help and fix and 
do what I can. But um, back to the Unique Foundation. It, yeah, they still do Muay Thai at their retreats. They don't currently have the like class that they had before for like after retreat participants. But I know they've done some online stuff as well of like video instruction, like little bits here and there. Um, love it. I love that they found Muay Thai and have gone with it because it changed my life. And I'm sure so many other women too. Yeah, so we'll put the link to find the Unique Foundation, the Whistleblowers Box, um, and Women of Muay Thai and, and your Instagram in the show notes. Are there any other resources that you would like us to direct listeners to? Oh, honestly, the Unique Foundation in general, they put out a lot of resources specifically to survivors. I also found it I, during the pandemic, I used a lot of them because it was around like anxiety and dealing with that and so I would take their kind of like notes and resources and I just share them with tons of people and so even if you're not a survival of survivor of sexual childhood abuse or anything like that like you can still find a lot of the helpful tools and everything that they have like it'll still be very beneficial Yes. And I, I love that you say that too. And I, I tend to try and tell people like a trauma informed approach. I wish we had different language because really, like, I think that that's what just all life should be. That's what all coaching should be. That's what's the most beneficial for your ability to learn and engage with like a new skill or anything in the world is, is for it to promote your safety and choice and be a collaborative environment. And that's really what being trauma informed is about. So I I hope that we do see that kind of a shift and that people see that, you know, there's value from having that kind of an environment for everyone. And I think everyone has their own traumas too. Definitely. Yeah. I think one of the blessings of being, having gone through my own traumas is I feel like though I haven't experienced everything, it's given me a lot of empathy and understanding for how the brain and body reacts. So when someone's reacting a certain way, there's usually my first thought, instead of just getting mad or upset with them is like, oh, what are you going through? Like, because mm. I think most people really, yeah, that's how they react. And that is, if, if we all reacted perfectly, or didn't have PTSD or other things that affected us, we would just, you know, want to be socially acceptable, you would assume. But when people start to react negatively, or go off in a certain way like I just first I'm trying to understand and listen and I think that's been a huge blessing to my my life and how I communicate yes I love that and was there anything else that you would like to share just as we come to wrap up with the women who listen to the show um I think the biggest thing would just be something I love to do this is like very random but I love to do it so the reason I fell in love with Muay Thai is, and I love it for women is because it makes us and gives us the opportunity to be aggressive, the aggressor, take control, um, be loud. Like I love making noises when I train because I'm like, when else do you get a scream? One of the things we used to do in our women's classes is we used to all get around in a circle at the end. We'd usually kind of like recap, talk about the class, talk about maybe like goals or things coming up. And then we do this thing where we like slap the ground three times and we would all scream like as loud as we could. We often did it twice because the first time we'd be like, you guys weren't doing it for real. For real, do it. Um, and it was just such an empowering opportunity to take up space, especially in this like male-dominated gym. Um, it usually scared the guys who were still at the gym, which I always think is funny and a great time. And it was just like so empowering. And so I just want to, I guess, encourage everyone to find that like space and take up that space, whatever it may be, whether it's screaming, <laughs> whether it's, you know, hitting pads or just finding those women that you can connect with. And if you're looking for anything, 
I mean, I'm done to talk about Muay Thai and any of any of the abuse or anything or just like overcoming life's obstacles at any time. So if you ever need someone to talk to, I'm here. But also I encourage you to find that space for yourself and take it back. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. This is so wonderful. Thank you, Georgia. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause. I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came and the feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no really. You can't afford it, you cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?